I'll invite you this morning to open up your Bibles if you've brought your Bible with you or if you have your electronic Bible in your phone or tablet to the book of Colossians. We're in the first chapter of Colossians starting just, just after the introduction, the preamble there. Um, we're in this uh, series, a sermon series called Ancient Words, basically looking at some of these words that have been maybe found in the church or been uh, maybe even were discovered or found their origins in the church, but maybe have kind of taken on a little bit of a different meaning. This week, we have a couple of different words to deal with. One of them is Eucharist. Um, we'll get to that in a sec. But the other is this idea of promise. And it really got me to thinking this week, you know, uh, how do you explain to someone what a promise is? Because it really, some of the, the details of a promise has to do with um, the ingredients of that promise. Really, it matters who makes the promise, I guess. It matters, um, well, would you trust a promise from a psychic, uh, a, a politician, a police officer, a doctor, a buyer on Facebook Marketplace, a child with chocolate all over their face saying they didn't do it. Promises, uh, it's hard to know how to describe a promise, what it looks like. I think we just saw a little bit of that. A promise is like a glimpse of something, in the same way that a child is a representation of the parentage, a promise of maybe something to come. Like a bread is a promise of a fuller meal, or a seed is a promise of a plant. Let's take a look at what Paul has to say. Colossians chapter, th uh, chapter 1, starting at verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that spring up from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you must have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will, through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord, and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with a power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. 
for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Wow, what a promise. Got me thinking about promises, and not just you know, that ingredient of who you're making your promise with, but what seals a promise? Today we have some water, some bread. They seal that promise. Maybe some of you are wearing a wedding ring. What about a handshake? Is a handshake as good as a promise? Well, friends, I'm going to tell you, we better get this right if we're going to be anything or if we're going to learn anything from this church in Colossae. See, they were having baptisms on top of communions, on top of membership classes. It was a steady, steady flow of people. Like, ministry was busy. Yeah, the challenges of ministry, the work of the sowing, the watering, the waiting, and the nurturing, that was new. The Colossians were a little impatient. They wanted to plant one day and harvest the next. They were planning the feast when they should have been on their knees pulling the weeds. Yet, Paul says, the very first word, I am thankful for you, or we are thankful for you. The word is Eucharist, Eucharistomenos. That's another word for communion, which, uh, which is the word for thanksgiving, E-U, if you ever see those two letters at the beginning of a word, and it's, it's a Greek word, it usually means good, eulogy, uh, are good words about somebody. Um, so, Eucharist is good grace, or good thanks that we give, so this is why we call it communion, we give thanks for what is good. The hope that springs up in you. That's what he's thankful for. Like the water gushing forth from the ground. They were being drawn back to be reminded of some of the basics. To be reminded of the fundamentals. You see, Jesus was gone. Many of them didn't know who Jesus was or had met him, but heard the message and of his sacrifice. Many in this area, at least anyways, were not Jewish. They didn't have that background. They didn't have that heritage or that religion. And they were around a place where, man, there's some other religions around them. They had some pretty cool feasts where they did all sorts of fun stuff and they were allowed to go to R-rated movies. Things started to get a little bit complicated for the people in Colossae. You ever get that? That the message from Sunday seems to be the same message from last week and what you anticipate is going to be the same message next week? Are we reading from Isaiah again? You can hear them in the pew in Colossae. Is this Isaiah? Oh, man. Third time this month. I bet, I bet they even end with the letter to Philemon. I bet you. I have it almost memorized. Couldn't we like jazz things up just a little bit? Complacency will do that. But Paul is reminding them of the historic promise that there are some things in life that are worth waiting for. He's really reminding them of the gospel, of living a life that bears fruit. 
and teaches them about baptism, about communion, what to do and what not to do as they are these representations of Christ now. And next week we take a look at uh, who Jesus is in, and uh, in this idea of the Trinity. These are the basics and they need to get them right as they're thirsty and they're committed. But they can easily get confused. So they have to remember a few things. They have to remember that the work isn't done. There are choices that are preferred, and there are, there's room at the table for the whole family. He's telling them that God can change you. Do you believe that? That God can change you. He can change what you do. He can change what you think. He can change what you say. He can change what you practice. He can change what you honor. That's what Paul is saying. And he's saying that there's room for you. And there's room for your family. And there's ways to include them. We include them through these practices. Promises to be remembered. Promises that we can celebrate with simple things like a meal that we have to have anyways. Or a bath. Paul knows something about these promises because he does have that background. He comes from that history. Epaphras, maybe not as much, but he at least knows because he's the messenger carrying for Paul all of these, um, all of these stories, all of these letters, all of these um, messages concerning the promises of old to people who didn't know. This Epaphras was the man who was traveling, doing the messaging. He's the, the one getting up, testing the microphone before Paul gets up to do the preaching. You know, he, They know this idea of the Messiah. There's another word for you. Messiah. It's a fancy word. It just means anointed one. You say, well, anointed. Well, what's that all about? Well, it used to be that we just had a king who was coronated. Kings were also anointed, anointed to be a king. Same thing in, um, as you were a priest. A priest was also an anointed one. In the Old Testament, the Messiah was the anointed one, the promised one who would be coming. The better king than David or Saul. The better priest than, than any of the, the priests of Aaron. That was his promise. And he had to remind them. And we still need these reminders, actually. I, and thankfully, nowadays, we have a few pieces of technology that make some of these reminders really easy so we can see things that God has promised in the Old Testament or prophesied about himself that have become fulfilled in the New Testament. I want to show you an image that will help you be able to see some of these things. These are reference points from the Old Testament and... Um, pardon me, Old Testament references being referenced in the New Testament. These are all prophecies being fulfilled from the, from the past and in the, uh, you know, pardon me, prophecies fulfilled from the Old Testament in the New Testament present. Thank you. So they're both in the past, obviously. Um, 
But isn't this beautiful to see how Scripture continues to fulfill Scripture and over and over and over again? Uh, those Bible studies uh, tools that you can find uh, that will point you to some of these prophecies. If you wanted to start a, just a Bible study yourself on looking the prophecy, the fulfilled prophecies of the Messiah, you can start just doing a, a book like the Psalms, just a book like Deuteronomy will give you a lot of um, good fodder as well. Uh, but these prophecies from the Old Testament that are being fulfilled around the birth and the death of Jesus are fascinating. You'll, you'll find people like uh, Lee Stroll will have written books about uh, the amazing case that there is for, um, for prophecy. See, and I, I bring up prophecy and promise kind of in the same uh, breath, but at the same time I want to make sure that we're marking out how they're different because they're not the same. Prophecy is God showing us who he is by fulfilling his own promise. I'll say that again. Prophecy is God showing us who he is by fulfilling his own promise. We learn about who God is through prophecy. A promise is something upon which you can rely depending upon the promiser. The beautiful thing about prophecy is that it increases our ability to trust his promises until, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. We can trust his promise because his prophecy is true. We can trust that the seed will produce good fruit because the seed has been nurtured, it's been cared for, and because the seed, well, it contains the promise within it. Some of you may be planting seeds this weekend or thinking about it. Don't drop the seed tray. So many of those minuscule little things look the same, and then you're, you're sowing tomatoes beside you know, what looked like uh, uh, broccoli, and you're like, what in the world happened here? How did this go? Those little seeds. But what's beautiful about a seed is, and even oh, to make matters worse, if you start them from seed, you get those first leaves, right? And what are they called? Does anyone know? I always call them like the true, uh, the first ones are the false leaves or the second ones are the true leaves or something like this. Anyways, some horticulturalist, you know, help me bone up on this later. Um, so the first leaves are like this false leaves and the first two leaves of almost any seed that I've ever started in my existence, almost all of them look the same. The first two. And you're like, what in the world plant was that again? And I'm like flipping my chart upside down. I planted them this way. No, no, maybe I planted them this way. And I'm trying to figure out what seeds I had started and what thing. And you can't just tell based on the first couple of leaves. You have to wait until it grows a bit. It's true. It's how seeds work. But the seeds themselves, they contain only that which they're promised to grow. You can't sow that broccoli seed, with the expectation of getting a tomato. And the fruit is only as good as the health of the vine and the quality of the nurtured seed. 
I think this is why, I think this is why Paul gives them that image. If you read back over our text, you'll see it. That idea of nurturing a seed as it is planted and it grows. The difficulty is that it's not as simple as all that. It is a struggle. It is a toil. <laughs> the seed must die. <laughs> but he never said that the cross would not get heavy. He just said he would help when it was time to carry it. He never promised that you wouldn't fight. He said that help would come in time. He never promised the absence of pain. But he promised that he would never be absent, regardless of the deepness of the depth of your pain. Yet sin has separated us so far from God, and it's so easy to get back to this, the basics. Sin, salvation, and service. That's really what Paul is getting to. He says that sin that so easily can ensnare us, God can deliver you from. God can change you. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with the power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience in giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. The promise of, of new life, the promise of a filling meal, the promise of a walk with burdens lifted. And so our response to that is, well, that exact patience and kindness, uh, patience and endurance that he calls us to. Pastor Ryan was speaking about a couple of weeks ago as he preached, talking about that sanctification, that process. You know, you still believe that God can change you? Paul does. That's what he's saying. God can change you. He promises as a parent you find yourself making promises and sometimes you fail in keeping them a friend of mine uh, Fred was telling me about a father who had promised his family that they could have a pet now, it hadn't been quite decided as to what yet, and so they tried all sorts of things. Frogs came home and, you know, all sorts of, you know, birds. Can we try that one? I'm not going to catch a bird, no. You know, not a wild bird, no. Driving one uh, weekend, a weekend like this. Stop the side of the road and see this gnarly-looking cat. Oh, man, the, man, it must have run through a mud puddle or something. And, the, oh, the kids say, oh, Daddy from the back seat, right? Oh, Dad, look at that cat. We just need to do something to help that cat. 
We need to do something to help that cat. Well, no, I've, we already, we, you aren't taking care of the pets that we already have at home. We aren't, we aren't, we're not getting, no, that's the end of it. And so on they went. Silence in the back seat until. <laughs> well, maybe we should stop and, and just go check on the cat. I already said, well, but maybe we should. So they turn the car around. Go and visit this cat. Sure enough, still there at the side of the road. Dad goes and gets a, a box from out of the trunk. Goes to go pick up this cat. And reaches down to go pick up the cat. And scratches all up in his hand. He picks the cat up by the scruff and puts the cat in the box and then puts the box in the car and says, all right, we're going home. <laughs> they end up at home and this cat is pampered more than Cleopatra I mean washed and balmed and hair dried and combed and every dish and saucer uh, out there with, well maybe she likes cream more than she likes butter well we should try butter and oh my goodness gracious treat it here and this, this father just unsure Unsure what to do. One day he's, uh, he's reading on the couch and he feels something brush up against his leg. And it's that cat. And he remembers his hand. And he reaches down. And that cat leans into his pant leg. And as he continues to pet that cat, who's now purring, He's recalling the one day when God reached down his hand and he swore there were, there were scratch marks all over it, all over it. And yet, and yet, what Paul is saying is that that scarred hand is still outstretched. I promise, no, no. It's not my promise. He promises. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your promises to us. They demonstrate your faithfulness, that we can trust you, that we can trust you to change us that though we struggle with sin, though we struggle with uh, our deepest and darkest of difficulties, whether they be self-inflicted, mental, psychological, or lies that we just let the world tell us, Lord, we thank you that you you see the very true nature of our seed. You see that within us is your image. And so you've sought fit to nurture us. And so, Lord, in the midst of that, we pray that we continue to be changed by you. That though we enter into this time of communion and because of constraints and for the hundreds of people that are here, we, we can only take but a small meal with us. But Lord, magnify it, we pray. 
as the grace that we experience, it, it deepens, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for your, for your presence with us thus far. Be with us, we pray. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.